Welcome to Art Gab. This is Kendra. This is Ashley. Um, uh, how was your week? It was good. Um, this weekend went by really fast. Did some wine tasting with friends yesterday. Perfect weather for it. So nice. Yeah, West Salem, man. That's. Are there a lot of wineries? In- oh my gosh, you could just like a winery per couple miles. It's crazy. Do you remember that time we took Grandma to the Willamette? Valley Vineyards, and Vague. Mom. Yeah, vaguely. That was nice. Right? Yeah, yeah. Willamette's beautiful. Oh, and Enchanted Forest is right by there. And I had a friend post pictures that she went to Enchanted Forest, and it gets me excited because I really want to go, and we should take all of her. Oh my gosh, that's funny you mentioned that because I was thinking that this week. I was like, we should totally do that. And I had friends <laughs> post at a timber game. Mm-hmm. They did a shout out to. Um, Enchanted Forest and had like a big old like Enchanted Forest sign. So it's it's in the it's in the zeitgeist. I think everybody's thinking about it. Right. So if we go, it's going to be insane. But it's it'll be such really an institution fun. of Salem in Oregon. Yeah, it is. It's a big part of the character of Oregon. It's pretty great. Did you know? <laughs> Christopher told me this. Did you know that the Humpty Dumpty statue there actually did fall off a few years ago? That seems appropriate. Like it needs to at some point <laughs> to live up to its name. Um, yeah, I can't wait to go because it's yeah, Oliver's the perfect size. I mean, he's young enough to go to the um, the rabbit hole area, oh, yeah. small enough, but he's big enough to do the fun things like the big slide with the um, the woman uh, the the lady that lives in the lives shoe. In the shoe. Yeah, and then there's the witch. I wonder if he'd be too scared by the witch one. Oh, he loves being scared. Yeah. He loves it. He um he went to the uh the in, he calls it the what does he call it? The scary mansion. <laughs> the haunted mansion at the Rose Festival. Oh, nice. Oh, he, he's still talking about it. I mean, that was a while ago and he loves it. Um I've had a busy week. I sold a painting, which is pretty cool. Um I didn't charge enough, and so now I'm having to, like, ship it, and the cost of shipping is, like... You're, like, making nothing. Yeah, basically. (laughs) Story (laughs) of my life. We never charge what we should. I like to think that we're maybe um, building a legacy, and, like, bringing art art to the world is great, but I need to learn to charge more for my work, because i got to pay at least for the shipping costs. I know, I know. <laughs> One thing that I've been doing, which is really cool, speaking of legacy, I'm helping an artist do a mural. Oh, yeah, that's right. Um, I saw that. Yeah, I wanted to help with that. Is it still going on? You should totally help. It's at Central City Concern, the new Blackburn building on 122nd and Burnside. And it's with artist Wage Diagite. Hmm. He's been around for, for a while. He's been in Portland for like 30 years. He's a great muralist. He's like, they're really fun. Him and his wife, Rana, are really fun to hang out with. Nice. And um, it feels like you're actually, like, contributing something to, you know, the larger community. Plus, Central City Concern does some really cool things um, for people that are recovering from a multitude of things. But, yeah, you should totally be there. Yeah. Can um, anybody get involved? Because this would be a good shout-out to, like, people wanting to maybe help out. Yeah. Yeah. Sure. Yeah. Um, shoot us an email and I'll give you all the details. Um, cool. I don't see why not. I mean, they need help. Yeah. So is it a Last pretty week. big mural? Mm-hmm. And, and we're at that stage where um, Wage is just basically telling us where to paint. And um, it's, 
it's like highly like pattern oriented, mm-hmm. mostly black and white. Um, it's really actually really satisfying. Nice. Yeah. Yeah. I, murals in general there needs to be more of them like i drive around in salem all the time and i'm like oh that is such a big blank wall Mm -hmm. it needs to be painted on right or you see like crappy tagging people that just write their name i hate that you see that and actually it's like put a little more effort into it like no i like graffiti if it's like well done yeah (laughs) i know tagging add some color shading yeah tagging is just hubris it's just people that are like I'm full of it, or I'm, you know, whatever. Right. Um, but yeah, like put a little bit of effort into it. Um, but I was gonna say that murals um, are a great deterrent. For I've heard that. So yeah, like people are less likely to tag that area if there's art there. Mm-hmm. More reason to put more murals up. Right. And the only other, oh, by the way, um, the other thing I was gonna mention is that I got really lucky and I got to go see the. Um, Karen Kilgarren and um, Georgia Hardstark. Oh, you saw that? Yeah. Oh, awesome. I just started reading their book. Well, audio. Oh, nice. (laughs) Yeah, I got a a free book with with going to their... It was a book talk at Revolution Hall a few weeks back. It was really cool. I love them. It's actually... There's some pretty sad parts in the book. But it's also, like, heartwarming. Mm -hmm. I don't know. It's good. Yeah. I just started it, but... Yeah, I think... So if you guys don't know, it's... um, uh, they are the the people in charge of uh, a podcast called My Favorite Murder, and it's this really good podcast. But it's it's kind of dark humor, but it's also just it is really good about I mean, touching on other subjects of what it means to be yeah. alive they're really, today. Yeah, and I like it because they're big advocates of mental health mm-hmm. and like. So yeah, the title might kind of throw you off, but if you get into the show, it's really heartwarming and there for people that maybe feel alone and empowering and inspiring yeah, too yeah, yeah. Um, so get their book it's pretty great yeah totally so oh. they were there reading their yeah. book that's cool uh, a little bit they were being interviewed by someone because pals does this series where they interview um authors mm-hmm. and i think that they might have had such a large following that they didn't want to do it at pals so that's why they moved it to revolution hall so it was kind of set up, it was an interview of them about their book. Yeah. Yeah. That's and they, cool. So they read some of the book and they talked about other things. Nice. Yeah, I, I've wanted to go to their things, but they sell out really fast when they do, do uh-huh. shows and stuff. So it's cool. I had, Yeah, I had a friend that canceled, so it was like really Worked lucky. Out. But one thing they mentioned, and I thought that I like, I like this a lot, was them, they were asked, well, why do you think it is that most of your followers are women? I mean, what, what is it? Why is it that women really like um, the fuck politeness? <laughs> no. Empa- empowering women. <laughs> no, I was going to say um, uh, true crime, but because um, it is kind of a thing. And I liked how they responded to it. They were just basically like um, they didn't want to be the voice of all women. <laughs> they were just like, well, people like it. Yeah. Um, because it's. Uh, yeah, it makes you feel yeah the the fuck politeness thing like makes yeah. you feel empowered and like um, I also think I they didn't say this but it but that question got me thinking about it like um, we are asked to um, empathize with people right I mean it's important empathy is important <laughs> in society we need to empathize with people and their what 
what they're going through. And I think for some reason their show gets me thinking about murderers and like that challenge of empathizing with them. I mean, it's so hard to understand why someone would ever do that, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, and so I think that challenge is kind of fascinating. Like how, like I really do want to understand, but I, I know if we're, I will never fully understand. Yeah, it's like you won't understand, but then it will put you in a different mindset to understand that there might be mental health problems. There might mm-hmm. be other issues besides like they just did this horrible thing. Mm-hmm. It's kind of like getting to the, core in psyche of like another human being mm-hmm. it's fascinating and yeah. challenging which is weird but i've been watching a lot of dexter like i just started <laughs> dexter so that's a really like sidebar interesting psychology murderness <laughs> just sorry um, on we, that note <laughs> i was thinking like why do we drink bubbled water like i just have to burp the whole time <laughs> why i don't know um, so okay so we got really dark really fast maybe we should lighten it up and talk about south carolina a little bit it's dark but like everybody should understand that there's another side of life and then it makes you appreciate the happier times even more i know so, right this really makes me want to start talking about francis bacon I know that's our next episode, yes. but like yeah. we should do this. Off that's a little teaser. Francis Bacon and uh, Lucian Freud. Yeah, I was like, who's my guy? <laughs> anyway, yeah. So getting down to it, South Carolina. So Ashley went to South Carolina last week to yes. visit a friend, but also yes. specifically to see art. Yeah, our uh, listener, our one listener, Sadie. <laughs> this episode's for you. <laughs> So in general, there's a lot of art galleries there. I was surprised. I mean, I'm not. I don't know if that's the right word, but it was just like. Where were you in South Carolina? Uh, Charleston. Mm-hmm. My friend lives in uh, Daniel Island, which mm-hmm. is like half an hour. Mm-hmm. A lot of water. <laughs> it was fun. It was. It's weird because it's the United States, but it's we're we're from Oregon, so we're just. The babies. We don't have any like older history, really, or like older buildings. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, it's just like it's just a lot older than Oregon. So it feels it feels very different too, right? Like even though I it don't, feels like another country, but it's still the United States. The origins of it are totally different. And just the food, mm-hmm. the culture, the buildings, everything, <laughs> the people. I don't know. Why is the buildings part so funny? I was just thinking, <laughs> like, I don't know. Is it much older than Oregon? I mean, Oregon. It's like 1700. Oh, okay. Well, 1800, yeah. So uh, 100 years older. Well, I mean, historically, like, they they keep their buildings. They yeah. Like, there's, my friend was telling me that there's, there's a lot of buildings that I can't tear down, and they have to, mm-hmm. like, get the okay to, like, restore it and you have to restore it a certain way so it's like the whole city is on the historic registry or yeah. something okay yeah. so like you can't buy a house and then totally change it up you have to go buy a code or something oh okay so that's, like, that's kind of what i meant by like the buildings like yeah and the churches are all the tallest points there oh okay um there's one building that's like bigger, mm-hmm. but even their biggest building is like not very tall at all. Mm. So the whole town is just very old timey. Oh, okay. Cool. And there's like even like cobblestone, some cobblestone roads still. Mm-hmm. So nice. Don't wear heels there. It's a good okay. way to uh, 
break your ankle. Okay. So wear wedges if you're going to be fancy. <laughs> <laughs> and if you're not going to be fancy? Wear comfortable shoes, sensible shoes. Because okay. there's a lot of walking. I was going to ask you. Okay, so you had a lot of galleries. Mm-hmm. Did you go to a lot of galleries there? We walked through the town and just saw, like, walked past a lot. But there was a brochure of downtown uh, Charleston galleries. And listed in this pamphlet is, like, 42 galleries. And that's just within, like, like a 10-block radius. Like Wow. Maybe a little further out. But you can see on this map they're all, like, condensed in that area. So there's quite a bit. That's really cool. So is Sadie from there, then? No, she's there. She's going to be actually moving pretty soon. Oh. But she, uh, that's another thing is the wildlife is totally different than here. Mm-hmm. Completely different. So palm trees, there's alligators, lizards are just hanging out. Okay. So we were at a bar outside and there's just like lizards on the wall. I'm like, oh, that's hmm. not what you see in Oregon. Yeah. You see like squirrels rather. Yeah. There were squirrels there, but they were like. Red squirrels? They looked like ours, but they were, like, more skittish, it seemed like. Like, mm. ours just seemed, like, fatter and, like, hey, what's up? And mm-hmm. then these ones were just, like, I got to go. There's I, a crocodile. I, I got to go. There's a crocodile right there. and <laughs> No, not crocodile. Alligator. Oh, alligator. Yeah. You got nothing different. <laughs> uh, which uh, are alligator? Crocodiles have a thinner mm-hmm. bill, and then, like, alligators are, like, Bigger jaw, wider jaw. Okay, so are they aggressive, either of them? I don't... Okay, so when I was in Louisiana, we went on the swan, uh, fan boat, mm-hmm. and they're not aggressive Right, so they're kind of like the idea of sharks that everyone thinks they're dangerous, but really they no, haven't provoked. I mean, no, yeah, they're not. But I don't, I don't know that they could see, or like, they could, I think they might be... Like colorblind? I don't know actually, but I, I think we should just go with it. It's yeah, no, colorblind. there's there's facts about them and their eyesight and what they eat and all that, and we should totally put those facts on our website, which is um, uh, what what is our website? Sometime Creative. Yeah, sometimecreative.com. Yeah, there. Oh, and um, if you've seen the movie The Notebook, where they're in this pond-like area. We actually, her, me, and her husband, John, we call him John Ski, were in the boat in the same area that they shot the notebook. Is that the one with Jeff Bridges? No. I it's, don't. I that's the one with it. Ryan Gosling. Uh, okay. Yeah. See, there's. Yeah. Yeah. But anyway, in the movie, there's a ton of swans in that bo- pond. It's a swamp, actually. Um, there's no swans. <laughs> they either CGI'd those boys in or they they brought, them in. <laughs> they brought a, bod- a bunch in. But we did see an alligator in that swamp, and he was just chilling. But cool. swamp waters are cool because they look black, like mm. the water. Mm. But it's just like I think all the uh, plant life analogy that makes it that color is what I'm guessing. I might have just made all that up, but that was fun. A lot of lily pads in there. Mm-hmm. Okay, so back to the art. Um, so you guys, you guys sounds sounds like you guys did a lot. You were on a boat. Yeah, I mean Sadie is like a natural born tour guide. Like mm-hmm. she's just really good at it. She's like the whole time she's been there, she's been like studying up on the animals, the wildlife, all that. Um, yeah, that's awesome. 
So we did just like a lot of like walking around and that nature stuff, but mm-hmm. we did go to the Gibbs Museum of Art, mm-hmm. and that's in Charleston. It's like a three-story building, mm-hmm. so three floors of art, and I think they do classes there. And, yeah. and what did you see? Well, uh, they had furniture in like early, like 1800 stuff and artwork, and um, but they also had a lot of Charleston cultural art there mm-hmm. too from the different ages, but... One thing, so to narrow it down, I was going to talk about what's called the miniature portraits. Mm -hmm. And those are really cool. So I'll kind of read about what they are, but just like a general idea. They're little tiny portraits that people would keep in their like pocket and on them kind of like in modern day time, that would be like our cell phone with Mm -hmm. pictures on it or even a couple years back wallet with pictures in it these were hand painted um on ivory oh neat yeah and then they were like sealed with a lacquer i don't know Mm -hmm. what type um at the museum they have like all the information about how it's done but there on display they have a lot of drawers full of these really intricate really cool little uh mini portraits so people would carry these in their pocket to kind of like, like if they were traveling, they could remember their loved ones or like share them with people. Show them like, hey, this is my son or, right? Yeah. So it's like, so in, so in a time before photography where mm-hmm. there's no pictures, these were a way to like document birth, graduation from high school or even your wedding day. So that's kind of how they would record those special moments in life. They were kind of like a memento or a token of uh, affection. And many portraits are handheld paintings generally created with watercolor paint on thin sheets of ivory. These intimate images were carried or worn by both men and women as a means to keep loved ones close at heart even when they were not physically present. Mm-hmm. Um, so a little history, the early miniature portrait painting evolved from medieval manuscript illuminations and classical portraits medallions from ancient Greece and Rome. They became especially popular during the 16th century reign of Elizabeth of England. And the popularity of these mementos spread from court down to the wealthy merchants. Mm-hmm. So it was kind of more of a wealthy person thing to have. So ivory became the medium of choice around the 1700s. Ivory lent a natural luminescence to the paintings that made the sitter's skin glow. That's what I was wondering, is if it was like that kind of, to add kind of the texture or Yeah, light a lot more things were done in ivory. Now it's illegal, of course. But mm-hmm. like even like antique stores, I don't think could even sell ivory. Mm. I could be totally wrong on that. Mm. But... I'm I'm just wondering like is it porous material or is it like a shell like material where it'd be kind of you know like a shell how mm-hmm. it has like an iridescent yeah I think it's more like a that shell because I've seen people that are they carving it I might be wrong too because yeah you're right like bone you've seen bone art right like people carving mm-hmm. bones yeah like um, the Maori of of New Zealand they do a lot of bone carving so it'll be like a cow's leg bone or something or whatever. Mm-hmm. And it's really a lot more porous. 
So, um, yeah. I don't know, though. Yeah. Well, it says this, ivory. this new medium allowed artists to create images of greater elegance mm-hmm. and refinement than possible on vellum. Mm. So the European sellers brought the miniature portraits with them to colonial America. Colonists continued to desire miniatures and therefore turned to local artists. In contrast to European miniatures, characterized by a romantic and idealized style, early American miniatures are simple and more realistic, Mm -hmm. such as the circa 1740s image by Mary Roberts, America's first woman miniaturist. So Mary Roberts, there's like a little example Mm -hmm. there, but we could maybe post that Mm -hmm. online. Yeah, that would be great. So even though Charleston was home to many great miniature painters, it also quickly became a destination for visiting and traveling artists. These artists, with different artistic backgrounds and techniques, influenced the production of Charlestonians. Two influential miniature artists who left a mark on Charleston were James Peel and Edward Green Malbone. Both artists synthesized the sophistication of the European painters with the realism of American artists. Melbourne visited Charleston several times, and his style greatly influenced the work of Charles Fraser. Like Melbourne, Fraser created elegant images of a number of Charleston's prominent citizens. Did you say James Peel? Mm-hmm. Oh, I've seen his work. Is that like, what, Yeah, James Peel. Uh-huh. Really cool, like beautiful um, still life. I guess you mean by down, like more down to earth, like the hair is not necessarily perfectly placed. It's a little bit scruffy. More like a candid shot, I think. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Which seems really American, right? Like at that time we were like a little rough and tumble country. Yeah. So the importance of the Gibbs miniature collection, the reason it's important there is I think because it was kind of a, the starting point in America was Charleston for their miniature portraits. Like it kind of started there, is what I gather. Mm. Um, the first American miniature portraits were painted in Charleston. And today, the Gibbs is home to one of the most prestigious portrait miniature collections in the United States. So mm. if you go to South Carolina and go to Charleston and the Gibbs Art Museum, that's the biggest collection, and that's kind of where it started. Mm. Um, they contain more than 600 items in the collection. The collection spans nearly 200 years and represents the work of 600-plus there. And then so some of the artists I've already said, but Mary Roberts, Jeremiah Theus, Henry Binbridge, Charles Wilson Peel, Pierre Henry, Edward Green Melbourne, George Englehart, and Charles Fraser. Cool. I was just thinking, like, well, what what stood out to you? Like, why... Were you so interested in it? But then I'm thinking, you like little things, don't you? Oh, my God. Like, on, <laughs> don't even get me started. Uh, there's this person on Instagram that makes their hamster like little burritos. Mm-hmm. I think I've seen that. It's just like, it's just my, it's just the best thing. And little houses and little. I don't know why. It's so yeah. great. It's just Things are better when they're so little. So cute. Um, oh, I was going to say, so what stood out? I took a picture of it at the Gibbs. There was this little miniature portrait, mm-hmm. and it was a little palm tree, and the it was made out of someone's hair. Oh, okay, cool. Yeah, so that might be a whole nother show, but, like, hair yeah, and, the Victor- and little portraits. 
Yeah. Wow. That is pretty cool. The Victorians used to use hair a lot for like, um, they would bracelets. bracelets. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So that would be a really cool thing to talk about. It's like how it, I've never heard of it being added to a painting before, but that's really cool. Yes. Like most of these were little portraits, but like, as you can see on this, there's a eye. Mm -hmm. So someone painted like an eye, but the one that really stood out to me in that show was a little, it wasn't even a portrait. It was just a little palm tree Hmm. made out of someone's hair. Hmm. A little portrait of a palm tree. Yeah, but if I ever come across like hair, jewelry, or art, oh, oh man, it's mine. <laughs> that totally makes sense. It's just so cool. Um, so yeah, that was the miniature portraits. And Sadie bought me a little magnet of uh, this guy, James Schoolbred Gibbs. Mm-hmm. He is. so. And then she got Miss James Schoolbred Gibbs. So on her fridge at her house, she's got the lady and I got the guy cool. and they're just like the bottom in the <laughs> the um gift shop there but hand painted little tiny portraits of the museum's namesake that's pretty impressive yeah so what was the um, so okay so what was I have questions for you do you want questions should I interview you yeah go for it okay. I don't know I might make up answers but... okay so where did you go what did you see who was it by Oh, here we go. Um, uh, what was your favorite part of your entire trip? That's hard. I like the museum, uh-huh. but we also did paddle boarding, and we went on a day that must have been just a weird, crazy fate day, but the waters were so calm, um, and we saw so many dolphins. Six feet away from me were like two dolphins next to my paddleboard. That's awesome. Yeah, and we saw tons of like fish popping to the surface. Mm -hmm. It was like an insane amount of fish, just like it sounded like popcorn right by us. And we saw like birds diving in and getting them like right in front of us. It was kind of crazy. So that was cool, just like nature stuff. Mm -hmm. I would say that was one of my favorites and just just you know the food was fun because a lot of southern food um that isn't really here Mm -hmm. did you have any low country boil i had grits and Mm -hmm. okra and boiled peanuts and fried chicken and waffles i mean i'm sure we could get it here but it's just like it's nice having it in a place that it's made more regularly. Mm-hmm. So that was cool. But I don't think I had, what'd you say? Oh, low country boil. It's no. like, um, uh, I'm going to totally get it wrong. Andouille sausage, um, prawns, c- corn, all boiled together. Kind of like a gumbo, but not. Uh, yeah, but you, you get those things, you boil them with mm-hmm. some seasoning, and then you dump it on a table. You put some newspaper down, you dump it on a table, and you season it, and you just, like, with butter and stuff, and you just, like, it's like what you do in the summer. You just yeah. eat off of newspaper. Oh, we had that at Miss Delta in Portland. Oh, yeah. Yeah. yeah or yeah. was that? Totally like yeah. that. Yeah. Yeah, I've had that. Um, oh, another thing I had there that I haven't seen in the Northwest is she crab soup. What? What's that? I could be totally making this up, but I think it's sherry. Mm-hmm. With crab meat and then, like, crab eggs, maybe? Hmm. 
Something about, that's why it's called she crab soup. I could have made all that up. <laughs> you could have dreamt it. And just... I might have never had that, and it might have just been in a dream of mine. <laughs> no, but I did have that, and it was it was like clam chatter, but it was like I could taste the sherry in it a little mm. bit more. Mm. Anyway, that was cool. So what's that over there? So, oh, this is another favorite thing of mine is the walking through town. There's There's this market, and it's covered, but it's outdoors kind of thing. Mm-hmm. And it's been there forever. Um, I don't. I didn't write down the name of it. It's gonna come to me after this, but it's a. Anyway, it's just a market where people sell like, like a Saturday market kind of yeah. thing. But it's every day, um, and there was a lot of sweetgrass baskets. Ooh, cool! And this is like an art form. Uh huh. It's baskets of all different shapes and sizes. Even little cute flowers woven into roses, and like you see a lot of kids selling them, and uh-huh. like for five dollars or something. But these baskets are super elaborate um, baskets, some with handles, some not, some like just really intricate details in them, and they're all hand woven. Let me just read to you a little okay. bit about them. So, but these were sold, there was probably like 10 vendors in mm. this outside market where I believe this the history, a brief history of that market is where um, slaves would go and buy um, produce and stuff at the market mm. there. I think it's, I could have this wrong, but I think a lot of people think that slaves were sold at this market, mm. but it wasn't that where they were sold. They would go and shop there. Mm. So a lot of people think that's the area that slaves were bought and sold, mm. and that's a different area. This mm. is an area where the slaves went and, bought produce and sold things. I see. So that's where I think people get them them mixed up. Where the slaves were bought and sold is a different building that is now a museum. Oh, okay. So the market was where they went and bought and sold things. If that's wrong, then let me know, but I'm pretty sure that's that's that. So so they're called sweetgrass baskets, and they were introduced to low country in the 17th century by West Africans. The sweetgrass basket has become a low country trademark. Africans brought the basket-making skill when they arrived to the low country as slaves. Sweetgrass is an indigenous bulrush that's strong yet supple. It thrives in the sandy soil of the southern coast, and a sweetgrass basket is considered to be a prized cultural souvenir. A little history is enslaved Africans often made baskets for use on plantations as well as for commerce. Many who were no longer able to work in the fields spent their days making these beautiful hand-woven works of art. The art of making baskets from sweetgrass began to change due to the Civil War and emancipation. Women began making them considerably smaller in order to use them in their homes for storing food. After the Civil War, Mount Pleasant in particular drew many black families that began mass-producing show baskets for profit. In the 1900s, basket makers began selling the sweetgrass baskets in gift shops and by catalogs that were owned by white businessmen. Merchants began buying the sweetgrass baskets that were attractive to tourists, which still happens today. Varying in shape, size, and price, the baskets can still be found in the Mount Pleasant area, as well as many places in Charleston, especially downtown, specifically 
you'll find basket makers weaving away on the spot throughout the city market, as well as beside St. Michael's Church on the corner of Broad and Meeting Streets. The baskets are mainly made by women who no longer work outside their homes, and the sweet grass is still mainly gathered by men. Although tourism allows the art to economically prosper, the use of the land threatens the natural resources needed to make the baskets. The survival of the production of sweetgrass baskets relies on the tourists as well as others who purchase them. Hmm. So that's a little, just a real brief snippet. Um, so to preserve the land that produces the sweetgrass, are they donating some of their profits? Or like, how is, that, how is the community protecting their supply of... I don't know that specific answer, but like when you walk through the town, so what the sweetgrass, like the plant that they use to make it out of, it kind of looks like a palm tree leaf, but it's on, it's like on the ground, like growing mm. from the ground. Uh-huh. So I don't know if there's like farms that have that or if it's just grows naturally. I don't mm. know much about that. But one of, so going back to the Gibbs Museum, mm-hmm. you have this, the portraits, which are just kind of like gifty, a rich man thing. Also in the museum is the sweetgrass baskets. And one of the well-known artists of those is Mary Jane Man- Mangulet. I think that's how you say your name. But she is well-known basket weaver. But it's just interesting to see the contrast of like a useless piece of photography kind of thing. And then a a thing that was actually used to carry mm-hmm. food. So out of necessity, like, you had to make this beautiful art form, but you actually needed it, whereas, like, this other art form was just kind of silly portrait. So one was made out of necessity, one was made just as a souvenir. So it's kind of, you see two different art forms at that museum, mm-hmm. amongst other things, but... Yeah, um... Feel like the, I feel like the portraits were probably pretty useful, but but I could see what you mean. One's more utilitarian, like everyday use, whereas the portraits are like um, special kind of. I'm sure they were very useful when it comes to like remembering something or mental health, right? Different kind of usefulness. Mm-hmm. Um, but I thought you were gonna say that it's interesting that the museum had something that for each of the two different. Um, economic or um, social classes, right? Like the wealthy people and then the rest of us, you know? Mm-hmm. <laughs> so we each had something to contribute, it sounds like. Yeah. The part with, like, usefulness and com- comment is, like, a little rough because, like, it makes it seem like art's not useful and art is totally... Well, what I meant is, like, the two art forms arrived at the same time. Yeah, that's fascinating because they're so different. I guess what I was trying to say is, although beautiful, there was no Unitarian use of the portraits. It was just more for, like, looks and what a rich man could afford, whereas these were actually made out of necessity to carry food, and they were actually, like, a used item out of, like, needing them kind Mm -hmm. of thing. So I didn't know how to word that to make it, um, I mean, if you, if you like, it was very contrasting. One yeah. was really like rich white man. The other was like an enslaved culture that had to make a man a necessity. And they just happened to be beautiful in a traditional thing. Mm-hmm. I don't know. Yeah. 
So I don't know how you would say that, but it was just interesting to see the two different art forms and mm-hmm. what one's use was and what one... Mm-hmm. Does that make sense? Yeah. It's like the craft versus art argument. I mean, they're both... But there is a lot of talent into the mini portraits. They're beautiful. And they are very useful. And unique and they're awesome gift to get. But mm-hmm. the baskets were more like, we need these to carry things and like... Mm-hmm. I don't know, but both were great in their own right. Mm-hmm. Just they came from different, totally different worlds, I guess. Yeah. Another thing I saw in South Carolina that I didn't know is from South Carolina were these stickers put everywhere that says Andre the Giant has a posse, mm-hmm. and we thought those were hilarious because they're like sticker graffiti. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's by the artist that does all like the skate brand stuff. That's called Obey. It's Shepard Ferry. He started doing this like 20 years ago, and he wasn't a skate artist until after. He got picked well, up later, but right. I remember but seeing That's those. how a lot of people know yeah. his artwork is through the skate brand. But yeah, so anyway, he's from South Carolina, I guess. Mm. And just this week, I got a big package in the mail of stickers of his artwork from my friend. So you too can be part of the posse. Right. But um, it's a small world, so someone knows someone that got stickers by because they know him or something. Uh-huh. So that's another person prominent in South Carolina. Huh. Whether or not he's from there or just lives there, but mm-hmm. that's another little art tidbit to add in there. So back in 2003, I traveled around Spain by myself, and I didn't plan ahead, so I ended up in all these little tiny towns. And... um. Little middle of nowhere, Salamanca, Spain, walking down this alley, and guess what I saw? What? I saw an Obey sticker. I know, right? So yeah. he is like gotten around, and and I'm sure he's gotten a lot farther in the last 16 years, too. <laughs> well, yeah, but this... He's the one that did the, um, the painting of Barack Obama. Yeah, that's yeah. how a lot of people know him, mm-hmm. is that there's a big mural there in South Carolina by the university, kind of. So I saw that there. But once you see him, you see him a lot. Mm -hmm. But doing the sticker thing is kind of brilliant because, like, you you could just put a sticker anywhere, and then you'll be like, oh, well, there there he is again. And then it gets you. It's kind of like the graffiti thing. If it's done well and put in a nice place, like. Mm -hmm. But I wonder how many of those he actually put and how many he got other people to put. Oh, I'm sure there are other people. Because they're, like, everywhere, I doubt. You know what I mean? Yeah. So I kind of, I mentioned Mary Jane Mangulat. She was a sweetgrass basket maker from Mount Pleasant, South Carolina. She began sweetwater basket weaving at a young age, and the tradition has been continued by her children and grandchildren. The art of sweetwater basket weaving is an important tradition in the Gullah culture and has been a prominent practice in communities brought over to the United States as early as slaves. Um, so, yeah, that's the the name, the Gola culture. Mm-hmm. She was a recipient of the 1984 National Heritage Fellowship awarded by the National Endowment of the Arts, which is the United States government's highest honor in the folk and tr- traditional arts. Mm-hmm. So I, her stuff, there is a few baskets on display at Gibbs by her. Mm-hmm. Oh, neat. And I can see that there's different colors of grass, too. Did they dye it, or is it just a different kind of grass? I did say that it was made from that one specific plant, but it also says that sweetgrass baskets often vary in design, but regularly use 
materials such as the bulrush, oak, hickory, and palmetto. Mm -hmm. So that might be why there you see different colors. Mm -hmm. I did bring back a, like a bouquet of flowers made out of it, and they start out green, mm -hmm. and over time they get to this more um, tan color. Mm -hmm. So they age over time, but they last a long time too. So it's kind of cool to get it from when it's green to aging process. Mm -hmm. So a little bit about her. Um, she was a successful basket weaver at a young age, and she ran a basket stand in 1962 on U.S. Highway 17, just north of Mount Pleasant, South Carolina. In the mid-1970s, she moved her basket weaving enterprise to Charleston City Market. So I think that's what that market is called, mm -hmm. just Charleston City Market. In the later years of her career, um, she, she continued to weave magnificent baskets at her family home. In 1984, what she was named the National Heritage Fellow by the National Endowment of Arts, like I said earlier. And the award recognizes outstanding American folk artists, and she suffered, but she suffered a stroke in late 2000s, but stated, I'm going to keep making baskets as long as I can. Many of her sweet baskets, sweet grass baskets, have been uh, displayed in many museums, and some of them including the St. Fay Folk Art Museum, the William Mathers Anthropology Museum at Indiana University, the American Museum of National History, the Cleveland Museum of Art, and the McKissick Museum of University of South Carolina. Mary Jane's children and grandchildren continue to, the tradition of making and selling sweetgrass baskets. Her oldest daughter runs a basket stand on Highway 17, like her mom did. And she stated that she'll keep the tradition going. Nice. Yeah. Awesome. Well, thank you for sharing with us all this awesome stuff from South Carolina. Um, it's really cool art from there. Um, and it looks like there's a lot of neat galleries there, too. Um, so, yeah. so thank you. Um, Definitely learned a lot. Didn't know a lot of this art form was out there until you until you go there. Yeah. Another reason to travel. Yeah. Just even to a different part of the United States. You kind of learn a lot. So. Yeah, and you come back with a different view of your home, too, probably, right? Yeah, a different way of how people live and different types of art and all that great stuff. Totally. Well, thank you, Ashley. Thank you. Bye, everyone. Nice gabbing with you. <laughs> there you go.